Exodus 2, 11 through 25. This is the word of the Lord. One day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens, and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. When he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together. And he said to the man in the wrong, Why do you strike your companion? He answered, Who made you a prince and judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, Surely the thing is known. When Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came and drew water and filled the troughs to to water their father's flock. The shepherds came and drove them away, but Moses stood up and saved them and watered the flock. When they came home to their father, Rule, he said, How is it that you have come home so soon today? They said, An Egyptian delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds and even drew water for us and watered the flock. He said to his daughters, Then where is he? Why have you left the man? Call him that he may eat bread. And Moses was content to dwell with the man, and he gave Moses his daughter Zipporah. She gave birth to a son, and he called his name Gershom, for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. During those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. Father, thank you for this day. Lord, this is the day you have made, and as your word says, we will rejoice and be glad in it. And as I pray through this, I want to pray through 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 this morning, that all of us would, would seek to pray and encourage and be patient with those who are faint-hearted or those who are fearful right now. That we would be a people that would help and be patient with the weak. That we would not repay evil for evil. That we would seek at all times the good of everyone. That we would be a people that rejoices at all times, that prays at all times, that give thanks for all times, that test everything and hold fast to which is good. That we would be a people that abstain from every form of evil. And that we'd focus and fix our eyes, as we already done this morning, on the gospel and on Jesus, our Lord and our Savior. He is our Savior. He is the means in which we accomplish these things. He invites the faint-hearted to find rest in Him. He sympathizes with the weak. He repays our consistent evil with grace and forgiveness. He gave His good and perfect life as a ransom for all of us. He's, his joy was to sacrifice and endure pain on the cross to benefit those He loves. He always lives to pray for His people. His constant pressure, uh, presence with us promotes thanksgiving at all time, no matter what time of season of life we find ourselves in. His Word, His life, His Spirit which He has granted us is the good standard on which we hold to, which leads, guides, and directs us. It is the, a light unto our path and a lamp unto our feet. His resurrection frees us from evil and makes us alive in Him. Amen. You guys may be seated. 
Well, we're going to continue our study in our exposition of Exodus. And I don't know about you, but again, I just, I just love how we begin our service with, with, a, with a call to worship, to prepare our hearts as Rich did, to worship the King and the God of the universe, uh, the transcendent God who created, spoke, and this world came in existence. You and I came to existence. But also He's imminent. He's near us. He has a, a, a desire to have a personal relationship with us personally. And then we sing songs about the gospel. Because I don't know about you, but my week, my week kind of goes up, down, and all around, right? There are days where I'm, I'm walking and obeying the Lord and feeling good, not perfectly, of course, but then there's days where I'm just ignoring His Word and sinning. And every day is a reminder of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that I am free because of His life, because of His death, because of His resurrection, because of His Word, His Spirit, that we can be a free people, that I'm a free people, not only free, but forgiven. And I don't know that. That just encourages my soul. And then we get into God's Word. And today we're going to be in Exodus. And I want to start out that one of the best pieces of advice that I've ever received about life, and in particular, this piece of advice goes along when we're in a valley, when we're in a, a, a time of suffering, when we're in a trial. It is this, that sometimes the Good Shepherd, the Lord Jesus Himself, takes us through the deep valleys to get us to greener pastures. That's what the Lord does sometimes as the good shepherd. He, 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 we're, we're at this green pasture that we're on. Life is good, but He wants to do a work in our hearts. So He leads us down into the valley where the good soil is to do a work in our hearts to mature us, to bring us up to another side of even greener pastures where we'd be able to behold His glory all the more and enjoy life all the more. Sometimes the Good Shepherd takes us through deep valleys to get us through greener pastures. And this is what we're going to see in Moses' life over the next couple chapters. Now when we left off, we saw the Lord used women in particular to save the baby Moses. You remember that? Right from last week? And a little, a little note there. Remember how Pharaoh was freaking about, out about all the males? So he had all the male children killed? He made a critical error, right? What did he forget? He forgot about the Hebrew women. He forgot about his own daughter. Just a side note, but man, he should have been probably more afraid of them than the baby boys. Amen? But what we see here is the Lord used these women to save Moses. And now Moses is living the dream. He is a prince of Egypt. He's living in Pharaoh's house and still connected with his family. But we see in chapter 2, at the end of chapter 2, we see Moses wakes up and his whole world is going to be turned upside down. And what we want to see this morning as we walk through and finish up Exodus 2, I want you to see if you can identify with Moses in some of these areas. See if your life might mirror his in some ways. And remember, remember this, that there are times in our lives where the Lord leads us you and me, through difficult trials, through valleys, to produce a greater maturity in us so that we can become more effective ambassadors for God. That's where we're going today in Exodus chapter 2. I want you also to uh, put your uh, finger in Acts chapter 7 because we'll be also going to Acts chapter 7 a couple times in this message as we go on. But first what we see is we see the descent into the valley. 
We see Moses' descent into the valley in Exodus chapter 2, 11 through 15. Look at verse 11 with me. One day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens, and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. As we see in verse 11, we have another jump in time, another jump in age. In fact, it's, it's 40 years. Moses now is 40 years old. Acts chapter 7 informs us of that. So the baby in the basket is now a man. And we don't have a lot of information about this time period of Moses, what took place in these 40 years. But, but again, Acts chapter 7 and verse 22 gives us a little insight. So if you have your finger there, go ahead and turn there. And what we see is uh, Luke, the Apostle Luke informs us, or, or Luke informs us in Acts seven twenty-two, and Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was mighty in words and deeds. So what we see here is Moses uh, was taught by the greatest minds uh, in history at that time. Uh, he graduated from the University of Egypt with a doctorate in all things Egypt, right? So we can see Moses, you know, growing up, he might have took, you know, uh, uh, I don't know, uh, Hieroglyphics 101, you know. He might have got a, got a master's degree in architecture, right? Uh, he might have took some classes in mummification. So he, he knew all things. He grew in wisdom and stature, but not only in intellectual knowledge, but he was also trained physically by the, bed, by the best, the best warriors of that day, in case he ever had to defend Egypt from foreign enemies. So Moses was a great man. He was a powerful man, uh, and he knew it. And it was part of this arrogance, this pride that led to his downfall, that led to him going down into the valley. And we see at the end of uh, chapter 2, we see three interactions Moses has in his life. And here's the first one. One day, Moses is out on the town. He's a prince of Egypt, just, just roaming his city. And he observes all the burdens and persecutions happening to his people. And note in verse 11, it says, his people. In fact, for emphasis, it says it twice. It says, Moses looks upon his people. You see, the crazy thing is Moses spent 40 years growing up and being trained as an Egyptian, but he never lost his identity. In fact, here, you would think he would identify as an Egyptian, but he sees and identifies himself as a Hebrew, as a, a Jew. And how does this happen? Well, it happens because of his mother. His mother and his sister, his family, as we know, they were still able when uh, uh, the princess of Egypt rescued uh, Moses out of the, the Nile, they called Jacobed, his mother, to come and, and wean him. And then also, I think they, there was a relationship that, 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 that continued and that she trained up Moses. She didn't let Moses forget where he came from, his heritage. He, they, they, they taught Moses the stories about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph. And so Moses, when he sees this, he identifies as a Hebrew. And verse 12 says, as he saw the situation breaking out between this Egyptian beating up the Hebrew, it says this, he looked this way, in that way. And seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. And at one point, we see a great characteristic in Moses. Moses helps someone who, who's getting beat up, someone who can't defend himself. We see that he has compassion on someone who can't defend himself. So he doesn't stand by passively, but he engages. He engages the 
encounter. And we can clap and go, yes, Moses, well done. That's what you should do. That's what we should do when we see injustice happening. We should dive in and not walk past. But on the other hand, we see that his inability to control his temper, his flesh, because we read that he goes a little bit too far and kills the Egyptian. And here we see the start of the descent to Moses into the valley. We see that this verse tells us what Moses did was excessive. In fact, it was a sin. There's no sugarcoating this point. Moses killed a man. He murdered an Egyptian. Again, the story gives us details in Exodus because he looked this way and that way. Which way did he forget to look? That way, up. But we also see that he didn't see everyone around him. And then we see he tried to cover up his actions by what? Burying the Egyptian in the sand. And here's a great practical implication for us this morning, application point for us this morning. Even when you have good intentions in the beginning, they may be righteous, but when you cross over to the impulses of the flesh, when the flesh takes over, there's always going to be some kind of cover-up. You and I are always going to have to cover something up when we walk in the flesh and we sin. Something that has to be buried in the sand. So I want you to just pause right now and ask yourself, do you have something? Do you have something in your life right now that you have buried in the sand? That no one can see? That you think no one knows about? Is it buried in the sand for fear that someone or some or God might find it out? But here's the good news. Here's the good news on the opposite side of the cross in which we're on as we look back. Here's the good news about walking in the gospel on a daily basis. John says that if we are in Christ, if we look to Jesus, we've repented our sins and trust in what He has done, His life, His death, His resurrection for us. If we are in Him, it says we confess our sins, He is what? He is faithful and just and will forgive us. He will forgive us. And then we are to walk in the light. And all of a sudden, that thing that is buried no longer has any burden on us. We can walk in freedom. So this morning, think about your life. What's buried in the sand? You, you, you may have gotten away with it. You may have been able to look this way and that way. And no one knows about it. But the Lord does. He sees everything. But the good news in Christ, if you confess your sin. He is faithful and just and will forgive you. Now you can be able to walk in the light this morning and be free from this burden, from this weight that's weighing you down so you don't have to look over your shoulder anymore. Acts 7 gives us the real motivation on why Moses acted this way though. He supposed that he was going to deliver his people in his own power and strength. Look at Acts chapter 7 verse 24. And seeing one of them being wronged, the Hebrews, he defended the oppressed man and avenged him by striking down the Egyptian. In verse 25, here it is. He supposed, here's the motivation on why Moses acted the way he did. He supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand. Salvation by his hand. This little section of Acts bridges the two gaps. Here's the second interaction that we have, or the second altercation with Moses. It's with some of his own people. 
two of his own people, two of his own Hebrew people are, are, are fighting, are squabbling. And Moses walks on up to him to be a peacekeeper. In verse 13, it says this, When he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together. And he said to the man in the wrong, Why do you strike your companion? Again, all of a sudden, Moses is now a peacekeeper. He wants to be a peacemaker between these two men. But look at the response in verse 14. The Hebrew says, Who made you? Who, who made you, Moses? A prince and a judge over us. Moses, you've been spending the last 40 years up in the palace being a prince of Egypt, being an Egyptian. And now all of a sudden, you're going to come down off your high horse and you're going you're to be a peacemaker with us? You're going to tell us on how to live? Who made you a prince and judge over us? In Acts 7.25, the second half, he supposed his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand, but they did not understand. They didn't see it that way, did they? They didn't understand. They saw Moses, and they saw the hypocrisy of Moses. He says this, who made you? He's like, Moses, take the mask off. Take your mask off. Why? Because do you mean to kill me like you killed the Egyptians? These guys knew what Moses did. The word was out on the street. And so Moses killing this Egyptian, freeing this Hebrew, then coming to his people thinking, man, they're going to embrace him. They didn't embrace him. And in fact, it made them even more fearful because they thought Moses would treat them the same. Well, when Moses heard this, he was cut to the quick. He was scared. Because he understood if this guy, if the Hebrews know about what I did, then surely Pharaoh knows about what I did, and Pharaoh's going to get his revenge. So what happens? Moses flees. Moses flees. And here the descent into the valley continues. Moses flees as what? A prince of Egypt? No. He flees now as a fugitive. He woke up this morning as a prince of Egypt. And everything that came with it, and then through his actions, he leads, he flees as a wanted man and a failure in his mind of being the deliverer of his people. Again, Moses started out on the right path initially. He had compassion. He was protecting those that couldn't protect themselves, but he gave in to his flesh. He couldn't control his flesh. And remember, he thought he was a special baby. We talked about that last week, and Moses was special. That special went to his head because he was not ready. He was not mature enough. He didn't have the training. He had the ability. He had the potential, but it needed to be honed in to be the leader that, Mo, uh, that the Lord wanted him to lead his people out. And he stepped out the Lord's plan and the Lord's timing to deliver his people. He thought he could do it in his own flesh, in his own strength. That leads us to another great practical implication. One said this, in the work of God, mere human effort, here it is, however well in attended, uh, 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 however well in initiated, attended, intentions, Jesus, holy cow, intentions, however well intended, committed, or influential results in failure. In the work of God, mere human effort, however well intended, committed or influential results in failure. And I just again want you to look at your own life. Do you know this to be true? Do you know this to be true? When you, when you want to do something for the Lord and yet you step out in front of Him and do it in your own ability, in your mere human effort. 
I've known this and experienced this many times. Many times in my mind, I've said, I'm going to charge the gates of hell with a squirt gun and only to get humbled. I get out ahead of God. I have more confidence in my own ability and my own flesh to go do something great for God instead of depending on Him. And I fall flat on my face. And now that I'm a little bit older and hopefully a little bit wiser, I tend to see this played out in our younger leaders here at the crossing, whether in age or experience. And I have to admit, at one, at one level, I just sit back and I think it's fun to watch, you know. I, I, get, I said, man, here goes so-and-so. You know, let, let me get my popcorn and let's see how this, you know, flames out, how this guy flames out. And I do this because this is how good leaders learn. This is, this is how I've learned throughout personal failures that have taught me humility, that have, that have humbled me, that have shown my need and dependence on the Lord, that I need to operate in His plan, in His timing, in the way that He has designed to, for us to minister in. I needed to see my own pride, my own insufficiencies, so that the Lord could do a good work in me, as He says in Philippians chapter 1. That He could build me up and now I'm going to be able to minister to others. This is how Charles Spurgeon said it. He said it this way. Is it not a curious thing that whenever God means to make a man great or woman great, He always breaks them in pieces first. Right? So we walk through when we walk through First Peter. It's the refiner's fire. That the Lord has to do something in our heart first before we can really minister to others. I need to, we need to minister in the power and the wisdom of God. Strengthened and formed by His Holy Spirit and His Word and not in our own abilities. Those abilities are good. He's given us those abilities, those characteristics, each one of us to hone in, but it must be shaped and molded by God's Word and God's Spirit. But this principle isn't just for leaders. It's really for every Christian. On a daily basis, because don't we tend to try and live out the Christian faith in our own effort, in our own ability, in our own time? Everyone tries to do this. We depend on our own flesh and our own abilities rather than seeking the Lord first. We want to take matters into our own hands and we say to ourselves, we can do it. If that's you this morning, if that's where you're at this morning, as you look at your life, you you're trying to live in a COVID-19 world this morning. Now, I don't know about you, but trying to live in the world today is, is hard. It can be frustrating. It can can just, just, just make you flat out tired and fatigued. Is anyone out here in here fatigued? Is anyone in here frustrated by the world that we're living in? As we span our globe, and as in particular we span our country, and see what's happening over and over again on a daily basis... And if you try, if I try to get through this season of life in my own effort, my own ability, I'm going to end up like Moses, alone by a well, on the run, frustrated, hurt, sad, hopeless, not knowing what to do. Is that you this morning? Moses helps us put our eyes to Jesus. 
Right now the Lord tells us, as James says, we, we need to draw near to the Lord and He will draw near to us. That's where we find our ability and strength to get through this season of life. It's not in our own abilities, but it's in the ability that the Lord gives us through His Word, through His power, and through the gifts that He has given us. You see, because the Lord has ordained this season of time for us to walk through. He, he has caused COVID-19. He's allowed COVID-19 to exist. He's allowed the tensions that we feel in this country to exist all over the world and in this country for a purpose. He's doing something at a greater level, but He's also doing something at each individual's heart. Your heart. My heart. My question is, what is He doing in your heart right now? What might He be doing in your heart right now? Might He be working on your patience and trying to grow you to be a better, more patient person as we talked about in the fruit of the Spirit? Might He be trying to grow you in loving others more important than yourselves? Might, might He be trying to humble you and see that you don't have all the answers during this and that we need to trust Him rather than spouting stuff off on Facebook? What might the Lord be doing in your heart right now? Again, because if we don't, we're going to end up like Moses. Not maybe as a fugitive, but again, alone by the well, as verse 15 says. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. And that leads us to our second point. The fruit produced in the valley. The fruit produced in the valley. Because God leads us to the valley to do something to us in the valley, to grow us, to mature us, to train us up. And we see this in Exodus 2, 16 through 22. So now Moses is in Midian. And Midian, it was actually a, a people group related to the Hebrews. Midian was a son of Abraham uh, back in the day. So these are Moses' long, long, long lost cousins. And Midian is in the heartbeat of the desert. And we find himself at a well. Now we know that throughout when we went through the book of Genesis that the well is kind of a social place. It's a social place. It's kind of like Johnson's Corner with a little bit more local community. And again, we see Moses minding his own business when all of a sudden another altercation breaks out. And we read in verse 16 of chapter 2, Now the priests of Midian had seven daughters, and they came and drew water and filled the troughs to water their father's flock. Verse 17, But shepherds came and drove them away. But Moses stood up and saved them and watered the flock. And here we see the third altercation. Moses just sitting by as well, sulking, mind his own business. These, 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 these daughters come, these ladies come to, to, to water their flock, and these other shepherds just come in and take over. And again, Moses sees this injustice. He never backs down from a fight. He steps up to rescue these ladies. Again, another great characteristic we see in Moses and the question is, has he learned anything? Has he learned anything in these past two altercations that he had? This happened over a little bit of time. And we see that the answer is, yes, Moses learned. Because notice he doesn't kill these, shepherd bo these, shepherd, these other shepherds harassing the ladies. He just fends them off and sends them on their way. But not only that, we see what a gentleman Moses has. Not only is he uh, uh, one who's going to save these women, but he's also a gentleman. He goes and he waters their flocks. And we see this, this, this imprints, the daughters. In verse 18 it says, when they came home to their father Ruel, he came home early, this is Jethro later on, 
He says, well, how is it that you guys are coming home so early, so soon today? And they said, an Egyptian saved us. Probably the way Moses was dressed, maybe the accent. But they delivered us out of the hands of the shepherds and even now drew water for us. And he watered our flock. And verse 20 says, and he said to the daughters, then, then where is he? Why have you left a man? Call him that we may eat bread. Here we see Ruel or Jethro later. He hears his daughter's stories and he is thankful. He is thankful that there's still men out there like Moses, still gentlemen out there like Moses who will stand up to injustice, who will protect his daughters. I have two daughters. And and every father knows with daughters, as you send them out in the world, that's a dangerous world out there. And it's good to know that there are men out there that will protect women, that will see people come up against them and they will stand up and engage them. So one, his father wants to show gratitude, but also he's thinking like, man, this guy might be a potential husband for one of my daughters, right? So where is this guy? I mean, you, you, you scan the local scene and it seems that there's slim pickings in Midian, right? I mean, you got these local yahoos, these local losers, these shepherds. If that's the picks, it's like, man, this Egyptian might be the guy. So he's like, man, where is this guy? And then we see in verses 21 and 22 that Jethro convinced Moses to stay. Moses marries his daughter Zipporah, and they have a son, Gershom. And this is what's amazing. For the next 40 years, for another 40 years, he spent 40 years in Egypt being trained up, and now he's going to spend another 40 years being trained up by the Lord in the desert to grow as a leader, to grow as a man, to grow as a husband, to grow as a father, to grow as a leader of sheep, as a shepherd. He will learn wisdom to go along with his knowledge. He will learn to control his strength. But most importantly, he will know the Lord. He will learn how to trust the Lord. And he will understand that wherever he goes, that the Lord will be with him. And we're really going to dive into that next week in Exodus chapter 3 and Exodus chapter 4. But I just want you to think about this. 40 years in Egypt, 40 years in the desert, that's 80 years. Moses knew that when he was born, he was special. His parents knew that he was special. But it's taken 80 years for the Lord to train him up, to get him ready for the task at hand to deliver his people out of Egypt. So we see a two-to-one ratio. Two years of training to one year of leading. I want you to think about that for a second. Patience, commitment, perseverance, all these things that the Lord was teaching Moses. I was listening to a podcast by a, a Navy SEAL this couple weeks ago, Mike Rittner, and he talked about, he says, when they go on deployments, They usually train twice as long for their action. So they'll train 36 months out of the year to go do an 18-long deployment. So we see the same principle here. When you're about to take on a huge task, the Lord's going to train you. He's going to shape you. He's going to mold you so that you will be prepared. But in this 80 years, do you think Moses ever got frustrated? Do you think Moses ever said, man, what in the world am I doing out here in the desert with sheep all by himself? Right? He was special. He was to be the deliverer. 
But yet here he is. Do you think he ever asked the question, Lord, what, what are you doing with my life? What are you doing with my life? Of course he did. He's human. And again, look at your own life. Do you ever ask yourself those questions? Lord, what, what are you doing in my life? Why does it seem like I'm in this valley and I can't get out? What is going on? And what we need to see in these times, in Moses' life and our times, when it seems like not much is happening, we need to know that the Lord is doing something with you and me. In His providence, He's, he's training you up. He's growing you. He's maturing you. He's working on your life. So be encouraged. I know some of these times don't feel very encouraging. It's, it's, you're in a valley. It's, 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 it's deep. It's dark. It's tough. But He's doing something in you. Know that. Take that from Moses' life. And hopefully it doesn't take 80 years. And usually it doesn't. And sometimes we're we're trained in the palace. Sometimes the Lord trains us we're on green pastures and everything is going well and we're growing and maturing and He's teaching us there. But other times He takes us to the desert. Because only there is where the lessons that we're going to learn about life. So be encouraged. And most of the time when we're in training, when God's working in us, we're not sure what He's doing. In fact, we're not even attuned to it until we look back years later and we scan our lives and we have that aha moment. Oh, that's what you are doing, Lord. No. Oh, now I get that. I've had a lot of aha moments as I look back my last 48, 49 years and see what the Lord was doing when I was in that valley and why He was doing it. But we don't see it years later. And look at Moses. This is so good. I want you guys to get this. 40 years in the desert. This is so good. These 40 years, he was shepherding his sheep all over the desert in Midian and Sinai. I have a picture Tyler will put up. For 40 years, he learned the terrain. You see Egypt up there. You see where he fled to Mount Sinai down the right-hand corner. He went through the Sinai position. Now he's uh, here in Midian, across the Red Sea right there. And he's training the sheep. And he thinks this 40 years, he's just, he's just learned the land to find where the best food is for the sheep, where the best watering holes for the sheep is. And all the while, the Lord was doing something to Moses. What was he doing? He was preparing Moses with the GPS for the escape route for the nation Israel from Egypt. Because we see this is the exact route in which they will take from Egypt through the Sinai Peninsula desert across the Red Sea to Midian. Isn't that an incredible truth? Moses spent 40 years. He thinks he's just shepherding these sheep. But what the Lord is doing is he's preparing Moses and the escape route in which to bring out the people of Egypt. This is the providence of God in Moses' life. And this is what the Lord does in your life. I love how one Puritan said it this way. He said, the providence of God is like Hebrew words. They can only be read backwards. That's a lot of times when we have these aha moments in our lives as we look back and we're going through the valley and we don't know what the Lord is doing, but we can be encouraged that He's doing something. And when we get to this point, we look back and one day the Lord just makes it clear. He just makes it clear. Therefore, this morning, if you find yourself in a valley, now this valley might be a couple days. This valley might be a couple months you're in. Or this valley might be a couple years. 
Take heart because the Lord is doing something in your life. He is preparing you for something in the future. For His glory. And mark this, for your good. Just like Moses. Now that leads us to our third point. We see the descent into the valley. We see the fruit produced, produced in the valley. And third, we see the ascent out of the valley in Exodus 2, 22 through 25. Here we see the beginning of the ascent out of the valley to the greener pastures in which the Lord will take Moses. But not only Moses, two million plus Hebrews and Jews on with him out of the sufferings of Egypt. And we begin where it always begins with our ascent out of the valley. It always begins with the Lord. We almost have this fade to black because this whole story so much has been focused on Moses. And now these verses from 22 to 25, we, we kind of fade the black back to Egypt to see what's going on in Egypt while Moses is out in the desert. In Exodus 2, 23, it says, During those many days, the king of Egypt, the Pharaoh that, that, that Moses was fleeing, died. But it didn't matter because his successor inflicted just as much pain and oppression to the Hebrews. The domestic policy continued on. And the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and they cried out for help. And their cries for rescue from slavery came up to God. In verse 24, God heard their groaning. God remembered His covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And God saw the people of Israel and God knew. Here we see a shift. In, in 11 through um, uh, 15, there are 16 verbs, and 14 of them are focused on Moses and what Moses is doing and his action. These last four focus on God and God alone. The, 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 the Lord comes to the forefront now. He's been working in the background, but he comes to the forefront now. And we see that God is the one who acts. He hears, he remembers, he sees, and he knows. The Lord will take center stage. And he does... Because it's now His time to free His people. To execute His plan. He hears the people of God praying, crying out. The people of God recognize their plight. They're desperate. They're aware of their dire need. So they start praying fervently for deliverance. They're crying out to the Lord. This is the first time in Scripture we see that, that people are crying out to the Lord. We saw in Genesis the first time where people called out, but here we see people crying out to the Lord, completely aware that they have no hope unless the Lord steps in and does something. They cannot save themselves. And God, being the loving God, it says, I'm going to focus on God remembers. God remembers. Now, here's the thing to know about when you read about God remembering in the Bible. It doesn't mean that He forgot something. There's only one thing that God ever forgets. Do you know what the one thing that God ever forgets is? The only thing that God forgets is your sin. That's the only thing that God forgets when you confess it is your sin. When you're in Christ, He only forgets your sin. Otherwise, He remembers all of His promises. So when we see God remembers in Scripture, it means that God is about to act. It means that God is about to do something. He's promised something in the past, and now He's about to do something to fulfill that promise that He made in the past. And here we see he's about to act and fulfill his covenant promise by leading out his people from Egypt. He started to act by saving the baby Moses. Secondly, he started to train Moses in the desert. And now he's about to call Moses back to Egypt to be the deliverer of the Lord's people. Moses is ready. 
And everything is about to change for the people of God in Egypt. And again, we see a great principle for us. As we look at our life, have you ever been there? And maybe you're there now. Or have you ever been there in the past where your life is in such a hopeless situation that you have no other place to turn but the Lord for Him to deliver you? And the only thing that you can do, the only thing that I can do is what? Is to pray. Is to cry out to the Lord. And again, we should be praying for our country at every level right now. The federal level, the state level, the local level. Because it is absolute chaos. I don't know about you, but I look out over there and I go like, there's no president that can fix this. There's no Congress that can fix this. It's going to take an act of God to bring back our country to unity, to peace. We need the grace. We need the love. We need the mercy that can only flow from Christ. That can only flow from God's Word. And so may we be a people that every single day we are crying out to the Lord that He would answer our prayer. He would bring peace and unity back to our country in love. You see, these are the same patterns that we see in our own lives today. We need to be a people that prays and seeks the Lord and seeks the promises that He has made in us. And we know that one day He will act on those promises because He will remember. He will act on those promises because He is a God who remembers. You see, every day we wake up, we don't know when or what's going to happen. And we wake up each and every day crying out to the Lord. Well, one day, the Lord is going to act in such a way that our world is going to be turned upside down just like it was for Moses. We don't know when that day is going to come. It could be today. It could be a couple hours from now. It could be tomorrow when we wake up. It could be 10 years from now. But the Lord will act and He'll bring us back together again. That is where our hope lies. The ascent out of the valley always begins with God and Him remembering His promises and Him acting on our behalf. Our role is to see our situation and cry out to the Lord and trust in Him. Let's pray. Father, thank You for this day. Thank You for Exodus chapter 2. Lord, what an incredible chapter it is. It began with Moses being saved by his mom and sister through the hands of the princess of Egypt. The princess of Egypt. It ends with Moses in the desert being trained up and, and prepared to deliver his people. Eighty years in which the Lord, uh, which Moses waited on the Lord. And now the Lord's about to act. Lord, in our own lives, may we see this same progression. And may we embrace the progress. May we embrace the process that the Lord is doing in our lives. How He is shaping and molding us. Some of us are on green pastures right now and things are going well. Some of us are in a deep valley. Some of us are on an ascent out of the valley. Lord, we are all in different places. So may we be a people that is mindful of that as we engage and talk to one another. And may we be like the Lord. A Lord that remembers Your promises. A Lord that gives us a, a model in Christ 
and how He ministered to people. May we be a people as we step out of these doors, filled and empowered by the Holy Spirit, informed by Your Word, and being better ambassadors for Christ. That we take and point their eyes, not to their own ability or someone else, some president or some governor or whatnot, that we point their eyes to, to Jesus, the one who can actually do something for this world, for this country, for our own lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.